What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. I'm your host, Reed Wallach, joined as always by Cody Williams. Loaded show today. We got a few big games to get into. We have the first edition of the college football playoff rankings that are, I'm pretty sure, just a media driven uh spectacle to get people <laughs> upset and to talk about it. But guess what? They have succeeded because we're going to talk about it and talk about our rankings, who's overrated who's underrated, and then we're going to, of course, give out some bets for the Week 10 card. Cody, what's going on, man? I, you know, just getting up in arms about the college football playoff rankings, you know, trying to figure out uh, which committee members I need to write to and send complaint letters to. Yeah, no, they have succeeded at their job because (laughs) on November, or I guess it was on October 31st, they handed out a bunch of rankings that are completely arbitrary, don't make any sense necessarily, and um, yeah, people got upset about them. I think we're starting to, at least like the the people that follow the sport are starting to get a little bit of an understanding that this is not necessarily indicative of where the teams are going to be when the final four are released. Yeah. It's merely just like a, a, a way to generate some hype around the playoffs. So I think people are starting to become aware of that. Uh, but of course, we still get upset anyway because that's how we do it. So before we get to talking about those rankings and what we are going um, and your top four, my top four, maybe a little overrated, underrated. We'll see how it goes. But let me tell you about our sponsor, Superdraft. Have you guys heard of Superdraft Daily Fantasy Sports? Superdraft hosts daily fantasy prop games where you can or can compete for a chance to win cash prizes. The game is simple. For each contest, you are given a pool of props for upcoming games. You pick whether each prop will be over or under the given total. You can choose up to eight different props for a bigger win, just like creating a parlay. If you want to join in on the action, we've got you covered. All you have to do is sign up with the promo code FAN, F-A-N, today and receive a deposit match of up to $20. You will also receive a free pick in your first game. Think of it like a free square in a bingo card or a free leg of a parlay. Using code FAN, again, F-A-N, when signing up, not only gets you these great rewards, but it also lets you support this fine podcast. So make sure to use the promo code FAN when you sign up with Superdraft. This offer is only available to new customers who are 18 plus, 19 plus if you're in Alabama, or 21 plus if you're in Massachusetts, and physically present in valid states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. You could check out the episode description below for the full terms of the offer. All right. College football playoffs selection committee revealed their first look at a poll. And I'm going to go through the top. We'll go top 
12. Okay. No, top, top 14. Oh, okay. So, okay. You want me to go from one to 14 or 14 to one? Let's go 14 to one. Let's do it like ESPN. Do it like the okay. rankings reveal. So I think these are the only teams, the top 14, that have like any sort of possible non-zero chance to get in. Not saying they're going to or they really have much of a chance, but this is where I drew the line. LSU is 14. They obviously play Alabama this weekend. Louisville's 13. They only have one loss on the year, so conceivably they could get in. Number 12 is Missouri. They also only have one loss to LSU. They play at Georgia this weekend, so they could really throw themselves into the mix of an upset win this weekend. Number 11 is Penn State. They only lost to Ohio State. They play Michigan next week. Potential Big Ten championship game as well. So Penn State, I wouldn't rule them out. Ole Miss, number 10. They only have one loss as well. Oklahoma suffered their first loss last week at Kansas. They are now number nine. Alabama's number eight. They, like we just said, they play LSU this weekend. They only have one loss as well to number seven, Texas, who has one loss. Oregon's number six. They have one loss to number five, Washington. Sounds like a theme here. Uh, And then our top four, number four, Florida State, number three, Michigan, number two, Georgia, and number one, Ohio State. So let's start with, let's forget, I I drew a big, cast a big net there. Let's start with just the top four. Cody, what is your one big takeaway from the top four? So my big takeaway from the top four is – at least at this point, the committee is valuing resume over eye test. Because if if you're talking about eye test, there is no way Ohio State is the number one team in the country. With the way that offense has looked and struggled at times, and really outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. for the entire season, hasn't been able to get off the ground consistently. There's no way in comparison to what like the highs we've seen from Georgia and the sustained dominance we've seen from Michigan against a weaker schedule that you can say that Ohio State passes the eye test better than those two teams and but they do have the win over Notre Dame they do have the win over Penn State Notre Dame was on the road and those are two I think top 15 teams if I'm not mistaken I think Notre Dame is at 15 we didn't mention Mm -hmm. them but so that's two top 15 wins so they're valuing that resume at the same time if you're valuing resume over the eye test how is Florida State not above Georgia and Michigan Uh, because they have a better win than either of those two programs either by beating LSU in the opener handily so I feel like they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth with how the way they, they ordered this top four. Yeah. I, I, again, it's now November 1st, October 31st, the rankings came out. I, I'm not going to like get up in arms that Ohio state was ranked number one. I think there's like a crazy stat out there that the team that was ranked number one in the first college football playoff ranking has never actually made it or something. I, I, there's some sort of stat. It's something close to that. Yeah. Because I remember the first year they did it, like Mississippi State was like the first team, and I believe they lost like the very next week or something. But yeah, it was uh, Dak Prescott Prescott and Mississippi State, and then they lost to Alabama either the next week or the week after. But yeah, yeah, they lost soon after. I I'm not gonna get like I understand. I guess if you're gonna say Ohio State is the best resume to date, like I'm not gonna. I I guess technically, like if you're looking at the wins on paper, that's fine with me. My biggest takeaway, I guess, is more on Washington being left out of the top mm-hmm. four. I'm, I'm surprised that – I don't know who you take out of there, but I would have thought it, it's already setting up that it's going to be difficult for Washington if everyone's to run the table for Washington to get in. Obviously, um, Ohio State and Michigan both can't run the table, mm-hmm. but it's definitely – it's putting the Pac-12 already behind the eight ball, which runs a little counterproductive to how we've thought that – 
um, the Pac-12 has been treated this year and how they've played this year over the balance of the season. I mean, the Pac-12 has uh, five teams, uh, six teams in the top 25. Mm -hmm. And people have, I think, believe that the depth of the Pac-12 is probably deeper than any other conference this year. You know, we've been saying down year for the SEC, yet Georgia, if we're looking at just this season, they're already number two. To me, like if I was doing a ranking and I'm not, I would personally put Georgia number one because they're the defending champs and Mm -hmm. they still are dominating teams. So that's my opinion. But I thought it was interesting that Washington, who we're going to get to in a little bit, previewing uh, their game against USC this weekend, I thought it was interesting that they are being left out despite looking at the rankings. They have the best team of any team in the top five. They beat number six, Oregon. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. No, 100%. And it makes me wonder. So like you mentioned, Ohio State and Michigan, neither of them is going to be able to run the table because they play in the final game of the season, obviously. Mm -hmm. And whoever loses that game, if Washington is still perfect at that point, do that does the committee elevate them over top the loser of the Michigan Ohio State game or do they still leave Washington out in the cold like in that scenario like do you think that Washington would leapfrog them or especially with Ohio State starting out at number 1 like say Ohio State loses to Michigan which i think i mean you know early prognostication that's what i i think it's going to happen for the third straight years ohio state's mm-hmm. going to lose to michigan like with them starting out at number one, is that loss to the number two team in the or the number three team in this in these rankings? Is that enough to drop them below Washington, an undefeated Washington team? They're giving themselves the chance if they if this follows lot like if they, the the sequencing of events has the it's now the first step is done you know in yeah. terms of getting that scenario out there. To be honest, a lot of these things tend to work themselves out over the next it's month true. where there ends up being only like four undefeated teams or there ends up being three undefeated teams. And then the one, one loss team just kind of like figures like it all. You rarely see like serious up in arms debates when Mm -hmm. we come down to it. Like last year, I don't know about you, Cody, but I know like many made the case that Alabama should have gone in over TCU because Alabama would beat TCU on a neutral field, which like I was personally the belief that TCU absolutely deserved to get in. I didn't think it was really that close. And when we got there, yeah. it, it didn't appear to be. I know I, I it tends to kind of work itself out, even if like people get up in arms about a certain result or that a team gets left out. There's rarely like an egregious kind of thing that happens with mm-hmm. these things. They tend, even though we have five unbeatens right now and we'll have at least you know four when we get there. There's usually only like three, maybe two when we get there. And it tends to be the top four tends to uh, rise to the top. So we're at number one. uh, The first ranking, I should say. If you were making a ranking right now, your top four following whatever criteria you want, not projecting out the rest of the season, but I guess your top four as of this moment, what would it be? So I actually have the same top four just in moving Ohio State down. I'm I'm in line with the AP top 25. I think that's what it should be. That's, so that's Georgia one, Michigan two, Ohio State three, Florida State four. I think when you balance out eye test and resume, those are the two – those are the four teams that have separated themselves from the other ones because as impre- even if Washington has the best singular win, they haven't been consistently dominant, particularly of late you know, with getting scared against uh, in the past couple of weeks. And so I think that that hinders them enough to comfortably leave them at five and then have that top four. 
Yeah, I'd agree. Um, my that I wrote down, I wrote down Georgia one, Michigan two, Florida State three, Ohio State four. So not a serious gripe. It's more just the way that I think Florida State has played, even though mm-hmm. that Clemson loss are getting worse by the week. I just think that I would put Florida State over Ohio State, but I can't really complain there. And then moving down the board, I think Washington and Oregon being five and six is pretty fair. Mm-hmm. Texas being seventh fair, Alabama eight, and then Oklahoma nine. And I think you kind of draw a line and we start to separate a little bit. So overall, not an egregious type of uh, opening ranking. I do think before we, uh, before we move on to the picks part of this show, the college football chair committee, I don't have the quote up, but he said that the Michigan sign stealing scandal will not figure into the college football playoff selections, which I, I kind of agree, right? Oh, yeah. I, I don't see a reason why it should. That's nothing but – like it's a totally independent organization investigating. It is, has nothing to do with what's going to happen in the playoffs. So like I think this idea that like Michigan will be banned from the college football playoff, that's like completely nonsensical. And mm-hmm. it's, it doesn't appear that, that anything close to that will be happening um, when the final rankings are revealed. Yeah, no. The two quotes that he said that, I mean, pretty much tell you everything they need to know is he called it – quote, an NCAA problem, which is a hilarious thing because there are already people who are talking about the college football playoff basically taking over for the NCAA eventually as like a governing body of the sport. But then on top of that, he also said something to the effect of the college football playoffs sole goal is to get the four best teams in there. And Michigan's one of the four best teams. And so if that's their goal, then they're not going to they're not going to let these extracurriculars uh, affect that. I agree. And uh we will see where that saga of Michigan sign ceiling uh, goes in the coming weeks. Okay, good stuff there. Uh, on the college football playoff rankings, I, if I had to guess, that's where uh, that opening segment is likely going to be going for the next month or so as we head toward mm-hmm. the final release of the show after conference championship week. Okay, let's get to best bets. We had a pretty solid week last week. I went four and two. You went three and three. I got the head-to-head win over you. Shout out to Oregon, uh, making that pretty routine against uh, yeah. Utah on the road. So I'm still five under on the year, 29-34 and one. Cody, you are nine under on the year, 27-36 and one. So both of us not doing so hot, but I'm a little bit better. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, well, I'll take it. We got six picks we want to get to. We have two marquee games we're going to hit on, then we're going to move to the Pac-12. We also have our favorite total because we both won on those last week, so we're going to keep that rolling. We also, of course, have our upset picks and sickos picks. So a lot to get to. Let's start with what is working for us. Favorite total bet. Cody, going to uh, Old Faithful here. What's your favorite total bet on the board? Absolutely. The oldest and most faithful, the Service Academy under. Uh, so after um, it's Army, Air Force, under 31 and a half. Uh, really wish I could have gotten this earlier in the week because it's dropped, mm-hmm. I think, four points from where it opened. I think it opened at 35 and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Um, regardless, it's dropped a lot. But after the Air Force-Navy game earlier this season went under, Service Academy unders when these two Service Academies play is now 44-10-1 and one since 2005. I mean, that's over an 80% clip this is hitting. And we talked about in, for that game why that's the case. You know, pace of play, limited possessions because we're talking about two option teams. And – you look at this. Um, you look at this Army team, and their defense is bad, and that is the one thing that I would 
would worry me, but Navy's defense was also bad. And when you have these triple option teams, they're more prepared to face a triple option offense than any other team in the country that's on their schedule. And so Army's defense, despite being putting up poor numbers overall this season, is still going to have a leg up on Air Force that most other opponents do not have. And when you factor in all of these things and the fact that it's being played in Colorado Springs, I'm not far from Colorado Springs down here in Santa Fe. It's been, it's supposed to be a little bit warmer this weekend, but it's been getting chilly. It's been getting a little cold. And I think it's, we're just going to be in for another service Academy rock fight. This one was a little too, too low for me to pull the trigger on. Uh, I, I bet, I bet it with you uh, during army Navy or air force Navy. And that was never in doubt. Um, no. I also a Navy with the points and ended up on a push there because went for two uh, down yep. <laughs> down 11, I think. or so. I don't know. Down 11, they went for two to make it a nine-point game because that makes sense. There's 30 seconds. For sure. <laughs> um, this one just a little too low for me and mainly because I think Army's defense it, it is the worst of the three service academies and Air Force mm-hmm. is the best offense of the three. Also, Army has been the uh, – we're starting to see – the service academies are filter out of their triple option tendencies slowly, Mm -hmm. but surely, but army has been the one to embrace it. The most Navy and air force are the two lowest pass rates in the country. Army is a little bit higher than that. I'll pull it up right now, but this number has kind of just dipped down to like a little too far. 31 and a half really doesn't give a lot of margin for error. Um, So I can't join you here, Cody. I understand uh, going with uh, Old Faithful, but it's just a little too much for me to uh, handle uh, this year. Army is still third. Uh, it is the third lowest. Air Force is the lowest, sub 10%. Navy's at 26%. Army is pushing 30%. So we're starting to get a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Army's offense has struggled. Uh, they got their quarterback back last week. I can't fault you for playing it. I just – I don't have the uh, – testicular fortitude to uh, go with one at 31 and a half between these two. Yeah. So I, I think one of the things I'm looking at Mm -hmm. is with army is transitioning. They are kind of getting a little bit, like you said, from the triple option, you know, DNA to some degree, but this offense still isn't good. Mm -hmm. And air force is arguably the best defense that they played this year. So I honestly don't see army, doing a lot in terms of putting points on the scoreboard in this game. And I think with the limited number of possessions with army's familiarity defensively with the triple option, I just think that, you know, if air force wins 31 to nothing, this still hits. And I think that's, <laughs> a, and, and, and I think that's a very real possibility for this game, how I see it playing out. It's definitely in play with the way air force is destroying teams. So I wouldn't put it by you. All right, mine we're off the bye. starting quarterback. Jacob Zeno's back. Another UAB over UAB FAU over 60. This is a no brainer FAU. I've spoken about him on this show, especially in recent weeks with the offense being unlocked, ran to some trouble against UTSA two weeks ago, Uh, only scored 10 points, let up 36, lose 36, 10, obviously to UTSA in a big game. A few turnovers really set them back in that one. That being said, we saw him get off the schneid last week on a Friday night, destroy Charlotte, which like, Quietly been one of the better defenses in the group of five ranks. Scored 38 in that one. Again, we want to go back three weeks. They scored 56 against USF. Um, this offense has been on the rise out of their bye week. New quarterback Daniel Richardson has helped. Going against UAB, extra prep for Alex Mortensen and Trent Dilfer. Jacob Zeno's out of concussion protocol. I think this UAB team is going to soar over. This team has been 
going over at will pretty much uh, five overs to three unders. They've gone over in four of six games as underdogs, even with a third stringer uh, two weeks ago against Memphis, score 21. Um, they put up they only put up 20 points against UTSA, allowed 41 prior to that. Again, USF uh, seems to be another team that we should be looking at over. They scored 56 there. Um, this team plays in shootouts. I think there's no reason why we can't get at least four touchdowns and another one from either team in that one. Should be a really fun, exciting game. The game's a pick em. So FAU, UAB over 60. We're back on our uh, Dilfer overs here. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about the UTSA game where they only scored 20. I believe the over still hit. So, like, it's it's one of those things where – Did did not hit. Uh, it, it stayed under because it got steamed all the way up to 66 and a half. Uh, uh, UAB uh, also should have probably covered in that game. Uh, yeah. outgained UTSA as someone who had a UAB, and that was really annoying. But uh, I believe you had it on the show. I believe that was yeah, the sickest. That was, that that was annoying. Outgaining a team and losing by 21 is like a touchdown uh, underdog. Uh, I still like both offenses at home here, especially with the extra prep time for the Blazers. So over 60 is my play. Yeah, I mean, with the, the track record of UAB says they're they're liable to go over. And like you said, and like, I mean, going back to that UTSA point, like, yes, it got juiced up to 66, but you know, if it's at 60 in the low sixties, high fifties, UAB has been pretty solid to hit that just about every time they're on the field. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk some of the bigger games on the board, Alabama, LSU, um, SEC West. Wouldn't say it's for the division, but pretty much, uh, yeah. we're, we're getting to a point this late in the season. This gives a serious leg up. Ole Miss still in the mix, but this is this one is a, a biggie for sure. Uh, Alabama's laying three, total of 59 and a half. Both teams had a bye prior to this one. It appears that LSU's defense is on the rise after a really poor start. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if that's matchup dependent, given that they've played some lackluster offenses of late. Um, Gene Daniels has been fantastic putting up Heisman like numbers this win would really thrust his name into serious consideration meanwhile on the other side Alabama lose the Texas game all they've done is respond against tough competition beat Ole Miss at home beat A&M on the road beat Tennessee despite a slow start at home uh extra prep time here against a potentially poor defense uh Cody how do you figure uh, I'm going with the LSU side on this. Uh, the extra prep time for Nick Saban and this Alabama staff does scare me because that's not something I ever want to really go against. <laughs> but when I've been looking at this game from afar coming into it, the one thing I keep coming back to is, yes, Alabama's defense has played quality offenses and they've stifled some of them. Like in the second half against Ole Miss in that game, they just completely – negated anything Lane Kiffin wanted to do. It was a bloodbath when Alabama was on the defensive side of the ball. But they haven't played this this offense for LSU. And there's two factors that I think really play in LSU's favor offensively. And one is the offensive line. LSU might have the best offensive line in the country. I don't think that's that outlandish to say. And so I think at the at minimum they can negate the force that the Alabama uh, front seven tends to put on opposing offenses. But then on top of that, they also have the same high end skill position talent with Malik neighbors and company that I don't think it's as good top to bottom as what Texas has, but they have that type of playmaking potential to where you can get after the secondary. This secondary has proven for Alabama that they're not perfect. They have a lot of high end talent. They're very veteran group and they have a lot of experience but they can be had when you're matched up against elite playmakers like Malik Neighbors and with Jaden Daniels throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this Alabama offense with Jalen Morrow all season. And 
you know, I think recently we've been complimentary because he's found his niche as like an basically like an explosive play merchant. Like he wants to mm. hit the home run. And if he strikes out a couple of times, that's okay. Against this LSU team, against this LSU offense, which I don't think Alabama is going to have great success slowing down. I don't know if Jalen Milrow can hit the singles and doubles, even against the poor LSU defense. He's played poor defenses and still struggled to hit the singles and doubles. And so I don't know if he's going to be able to have the sustained offense or enough explosive plays to keep up with this LSU offense in this game. So LSU plus three. We're going to go head to head again. Let's go. Uh, I, I like Bama minus three. The more I dug into this game, the more I think that LSU's run of sound defense is really based around the kind of strength of schedule and the, the offenses they, that they faced. Anytime LSU has faced an offense that could put up any sort of uh, points on the board, they have. Uh, mm-hmm. Arkansas, which has fallen off a cliff, they scored 31 against them. Uh, I mean, do I have to talk about the Florida State game where they scored 45? Ole Miss scored 55. Um, Missouri scored 39. And honestly, that score got to double digits because they had LSU had a pick six in the final minute. Mm-hmm. Auburn only scored 18. I think we could consider Auburn as arguably the worst offense in the SEC at this point. They played Army, shut them out. So that probably makes, you know, boasts them up a little bit. I just think you're asking this defense to travel on the road to Tuscaloosa against a, uh, I would say the best defense they're going to face that they have faced to date. So oh, yeah. you have a defense that hasn't stopped anybody playing a pretty solid offense. So that's going against them. Then you have a really, really good offense playing the best defense that they've seen so far this year on the road. So there's a lot of factors going against LSU. And I think this recent run up is inflating their standing here to say that they're better than Alabama on a neutral field or pretty similar. I, I think Alabama is a more complete team here mainly because of the defense. I'm not going to say anything bad about Jaden Daniels or anything like that. That being said, I, I had my concerns about Jalen Milrow. Uh, producer Joanne clipped uh, me being concerned about Jalen Milrow hitting deep shots against Texas A&M. I mean, Jalen Milrow has been absolutely superb this season, and I've turned my tune from kind of being anti-Alabama to being on Alabama Jalen Murrow is 60% on throws of 20 or more yards with 17 big-time throws to zero turnover-worthy plays, according to Pro Football Focus. LSU is 119th in explosive pass defense. Mm -hmm. I know you're a little concerned if Jalen Murrow can hit the singles and doubles, but this game might just be full of home runs, and I trust Alabama's defense to keep the ball inside the park uh, (laughs) instead of LSU, who uh, is playing in – what do they call out? What do they call the Atlanta Braves? Say there's like a wind tunnel or something that's going to send the balls oh, yeah. flying out. Or course field, you know. Yeah, I just think uh, Alabama to me is a better team. And if you want to play like the comparing power ratings and stuff like that, um, Alabama against Ole Miss spread closed at around a touchdown. Alabama favored by six and a half. LSU was a three-point road favorite against Ole Miss, and they lost that game, so you probably mm-hmm. were incorrect there. So LSU at home, you know, again, probably inside of a touchdown or something. But again, Alabama outperformed expectations their game against Ole Miss. LSU did not. They were, like, assuming a common opponent. To me, I just think Alabama's a better team. I trust them more specifically, and I trust them at home. A few other things that I think are going to help my case. Special teams – 
This game might come. This game might be back and forth in its last team with the ball. Yeah. LSU, 87th in special teams grade, according to Pro Football Focus. Alabama, fifth in the entire country. Alabama does not shoot themselves in the foot when the third unit gets on the field. Another one, Bama is seventh in tackling. LSU is right around the national average in the 50s. So I think Bama, they could limit these explosive plays. LSU has shown a propensity to uh, arm tackle a little bit. So I, I think I like Alabama in this one. I think that they're going to be the more consistent unit. And I think that they cover the three. So I think the my, this might be Alabama's best game of the year. So my pushback on this would be, I'm not even going to argue the fact that Alabama might be the better team this year. Like top to bottom, you know, look at the roster. However, I would also argue that Alabama might have been the better team last year. And this LSU offense with Brian Kelly and Jaden Daniels had every answer for them. And it was a crazy, it was a wild game, but LSU came out on top. And I just, I think that this LSU offense, particularly with Jaden Daniels and his mobility, is uniquely suited to attack this Alabama defense. And I, I mean, I'm going to be, you know, a little peek behind the curtain for everybody. My initial bet here was going to be LSU team total over 28 and a half. Love that bet. I think that this game is going to soar over. I think we're looking at a high scoring affair. Like you said, shootout, last possession wins. But I saw you go Alabama minus three. And I just think that uh, LSU has the ability to play their best game and keep this within a field goal or win. The game out and right. you want to pick up a game on me in the standings. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think there's a lot of edges for Alabama to to win a game that is going to come down to the wire. I trust their team. I trust their coach a lot more. And I'm going to be honest, Jalen Milrow has kind of proven to me that he can be trusted to win these tight games. I think the tech. I think the Texas game got a little sideways there. And but LSU's defense isn't what Texas is. I don't know if LSU's gonna be able to get home like Texas was able to. So I don't know if that's the comparable game. I think the Ole Miss game is where we look at like can, we could draw some parallels. I think Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. I think mean, we watched Ole Miss and LSU playing a crazy game. I think that's where we're looking for um, some parallels. And I mean, listen, again, Alabama. They were favored by touchdown against Ole Miss. They were favored by touchdown against Texas. Uh, favored by what was uh, close to 10 against Tennessee, favored on the road against A&M. Now all of a sudden we're just kind of bolstering up LSU's resume. I, I don't really see where that's coming from. The defense still hasn't proven to me that it's made improvements. I, I think we're kind of just assuming that they've made improvements over the year and stuff because we haven't heard that they played so bad, but they played Auburn and Army. Yeah. Yeah. And- Every decent offense has been able to put up points. No, and I'm not I'm not arguing that fact. At the same time, you talk about you don't know if LSU is going to be able to get home. Pro Football Focus has LSU's pass rush this year graded as the 20th best in the country. And we know this Alabama offensive line has struggled. And Milrose legs and mobility do negate that somewhat. But I think you have a very similar type of talent to what Texas has up front in terms of being able to get after Milrow, being able to pressure him, being able to – potentially limit the opportunities for him to get those explosive plays. You know, maybe the route hasn't developed downfield by the time he's getting pressure in his face and he's got to get the ball out. And so that's another factor where I'm looking at, like I'm not looking at this game for LSU's defense to win this game uh, for them. I'm looking at it from a perspective of 
can Alabama's offense come up with enough plays to keep up with LSU's offense? Because I have enough faith in LSU's offense, even if they haven't played a defense as good as Alabama's, which I'm still dubious of how good this Alabama defense is by Alabama standards, to be clear. On a national standard, still very good, but by Alabama standards. And I just think that I'm on the LSU side because I don't think I don't have faith in Jalen Monroe in this offense against this pass rush with how that offensive line has struggled with their inability to run the ball consistently against anyone, not just, you know, not just the best defense that they played. I'm worried that they won't be able to keep up with LSU. We'll see. Oh yeah. We it's going to be a fun one. I'm I'll excited. Make I'll make it two weeks in a row, picking up a game on you. <laughs> What's so special about hero Brett's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right, let's move. Pac-12 has a handful of massive games. We're not going to talk about all of them. We're only going to talk about two, but... <clears throat> Washington, a uh, ton of scares in recent weeks. Obviously, the escape against Oregon. They need a pick six against Arizona State and an inexplicable drop against uh, Stanford to pull away there. Yeah. Uh, they go to USC to play. Uh, UCLA is on the road to play Arizona. Oregon State off their losses in Boulder to play Colorado. Oregon, who is, for my money, the third best team in the country. They're hosting Cal, who lost an absolute buck wild game. That really hurt me as someone who had Cal win total over. Could have used that win. Um, That hurt. And I think that's all. Oh, and Utah hosts Arizona State. Um, Not as impactful, but uh, just another Pac-12 game. So a lot of games to talk about. Cody, where are you going this week? This is just a Pac-12 only segment. So we could uh, flush out some ideas here. Yeah, so I'm actually going to that Oregon Cal game you mentioned, and I'm targeting Oregon in the first half, minus 13 and a half. Uh, Oregon has the USC game next week. And that's in Eugene. And I don't think that they care. I mean, I don't think this is a big stretch. I don't think they care about the Cal game quite as much as they do the USC game. I think that's a much bigger game in the Pac-12 race. I think it's a much bigger game nationally, much bigger national spotlight. And Oregon is obviously the vastly superior team in terms of the metrics. You know, their defense is going to be able to really cause Cal problems up front. And I think Bo Nix, Bucky Irving, and this Oregon offense should be able to have their way. But I don't really trust them. I don't trust Dan Lanning to do it for four quarters and necessarily, you know, keep the pedal to the uh, floor for four quarters and cover a 24, 25-point spread, depending on where you're looking. But I do think that they get out to a big early lead and then kind of coast the second half just to get into the USC game healthy because that is such a substantially bigger game. So I think, you know, just asking Oregon to go up into the half by two touchdowns, I think that they're more than capable, and I think they do it in this game. I completely agree. I think Cal might get just absolutely walked here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, I, and Cal's coming off the emotional loss last week. like, And Cal's defense is bad, especially through the mm-hmm. year, so I think Oregon might really uh, tee off. Uh, I, I can't hate this one. Um, I I fought through my shot collar that says never to bet USC, but I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I did it here. I took the points with USC – I th- at, it's merely a play on me trusting neither team. So I'll take the team that is, has a plus sign next to it. I think this matchup sets up pretty nicely for USC. I don't think Washington is all the way healthy. And if there's one thing USC can do, it's get pressure. They can get in the backfield. They can make some plays. And Michael Penix, 
not necessarily the best guy at throwing under duress, not necessarily making plays on the run. Uh, so I think USC can maybe get a few negative plays and get off the field. Uh, I, I just think Caleb Williams, I'm afraid this team has quit and maybe this blows up in my face, but if Caleb Williams wants to, he can do whatever he wants against Washington defense that up 30 plus against Stanford last week. Uh, Oregon moved the ball at will against them. I just think USC has the skill position players to really give Washington some fits, a team that's bottom half of the country in terms of EPA per play and success rate. And what I find most interesting is talk badly about USC. They give up a lot of chunk plays on defense. Mm-hmm. Success rate, though, like down to down, they actually grade out better than Washington. It's flipped, where Washington does a good job of limiting explosives, but really bad at like down to down getting off the field. They are outside the top 80 in terms of success rate. USC's uh, right around the national average in terms of success rate. So that means when teams need to move the ball and stay on schedule, so that's picking up four yards on first down, getting to third and three, and then getting a first down on third down. To me, that means that USC is going to be able to have long sustaining drives, keep that offense off the field, and put enough scores. I mean, listen, the total 76. I think both teams are going to get whatever they want. It's just yeah. a matter of – I'm getting three points in a game that I truly think is a pick em. I truly think that there's very little separating these teams on the road. Washington's current form, their injuries are starting to pile up. I think if USC wants this game, it's there for them. So I'll take the three with the home dog. This is like a, a pretty big, I, I know it looks ugly given what we've seen from USC, but like this is a pretty swift change in expectation for uh, the Trojans here to get a full three. So, uh, I, I think they could cover here. And I think, honestly, I think they're going to win this game if they're up for it. I know this could sound stupid uh, and they just quit and they just like kind of drag their feet through the game. But yeah. I think USC, if they come correct, they will win this game. No. And I, I think that's hundred percent right. Like it is risky for the quit factor. And, but if you take, if, if you assume that USC has not quit, which granted, as we've been talking about, is not a guaranteed assumption. But if you assume that, then this is a great number to get them at in this matchup because this isn't the Washington, this isn't the same Washington team that we saw beat Oregon in, at Husky Stadium. Their offensive line is banged up. They've had guys in and out of the lineup for the past couple games. Michael Penix is also banged up. Like I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was like a minor rib injury he suffered in yeah. that Oregon Oregon game. And you watch him throw over these past two games, and it's not been pretty. And when to your point, when he's been under pressure, he's been like rushing throws so he doesn't take as big a hit so he can protect himself. So I think this is a good number. I mean, it's going to be a shootout, but with USC getting the three, I think that's probably the right side. I I would not touch a side in this game just because I don't know about USC's quit factor. Like there's a, like, there's a legitimate chance this team ends up at seven and five. Like they lose the, re- the remainder of their games. But – they have enough talent to win this game outright, like you said. And if they show up, I think that's a, getting the three points. If they can, if you think they have the talent to win the game outright, and you're getting three points, I think that's a set. I think that's a nice bet. Yeah, uh, I think if Caleb Caleb Williams would still be the best player on the field, and he's the underdog. And again, this is a team that was just two and a half on the road at Notre Dame, a team that has a stout defense that plays physical bully ball that could really play a style of football that USC doesn't like. Yeah. Washington's going to play a style of football that USC really likes. Oh yeah. There's going to be a lot of big plays, a lot of pushing the ball down the field. 
That's why I think this matchup sets up better for USC, who, I mean, again, this is a pretty stark flip. You're now getting them as a home dog of three. So I like, listen, home dog, woof, woof. Uh, give me the Trojans plus three. All right. Another big time matchup Georgia, Missouri. Missouri uh, coming in, looking like the best team we're going to see Georgia face this regular season. Uh, yeah. Missouri's offense is vastly improved under first year offensive coordinator Kirby Moore. They have Luther League burden at wide receiver Brady Cook, who I uh, I believe I went on a show before the season said Brady Cook is going to be selling cars or doing like insurance sales in a few years. Uh, that might have been this show. I'm pretty uh, sure. <laughs> so I whiffed on Missouri, but I've been quick to uh, walk it back because I have been super impressed with this offense um, as the year has progressed. For my money, this will be the best team Georgia's face in the regular season. That being said, Georgia looked like uh, they weren't messing around at the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, hanging 40-plus against Florida, making it look easy without Brock Bowers. Uh, Cody, how do you figure this matchup? We got Georgia laying 15.5, total of 54.5. Yeah, so I'm going once again to the first half. I'm literally just running back the play I made with Florida last week, Georgia first half minus seven and a half. Um, I think we see I, Missouri is a better team than Florida. Do not get me wrong. The offense I think is substantially better and they have a playmaker like Luther Burton Burton, who I think is a difference maker that Florida just doesn't necessarily have on their roster. But at the same time, I think you're looking at a Georgia team that is going to be able to have their way offensively too. Uh, Missouri ranks 73rd and EPA per drop back defensively this season and we saw when what we've been looking for all season when Carson Beck gets the reins to this offense and he's allowed to just air it out to Ladd McConkey, to Rara Thomas, to Dominic Lovett, to Oscar Delp, who made you forget about Brock Bowers there for a yeah. second when he came into the game, like another top 50 recruit at tight end. And that he just aired it out. And that was the best game I've seen Carson Beck play, mostly because they put the game in his hands and he just took it and ran with it. And I don't think Missouri has any resistance to that. On the flip side of that, Missouri's offense is better than we thought, but they're not a perfect offense. We've seen them, you know, struggle to build consistent drives. They've hit uh, at times. Like you look at the end of that LSU game when they, uh, you know, had some costly turnovers. Like there's still some jag in Brady Cook that I don't think yeah. is going to go away. And I think this Georgia defense showed in the first half last week against Florida that it's going to let you get your opening script off like the first drive of the game. But after that, they're, they have the playmakers and they have the adjustments to just completely throw things by the way, throw all of that by the wayside and put you back on your heels. I think that's what they do to Missouri, Missouri in this. I think they get up by more than two score or yeah, up by more than two scores in the first half and then just kind of coast to victory. I, yeah, that's just where I see this game head. Yeah. I, can't fault you. I, I kind of think Missouri could keep this competitive just because it's a, maybe a shock to the system that Georgia has to face like a legitimate offense. I played the over. I think there's going to be points here. Same, and I think we're looking at this game the same way we looked at the Florida game, where I took the over in that game and it hit with relative ease. I think Missouri could put some points on the board. I think like for Georgia to win, they're going to need to get into the 30s comfortably because I think the same concerns I have for Georgia's defense – is even more paramount in this Missouri game. Georgia's defense is still outside the top 100 in red zone touchdown percentage. Georgia's defense is still not getting home. They're still bottom half of the country in terms of sacks. So maybe Missouri goes in and turtles and they get all nervous and stuff, but I respect this offense enough to think that they're going to be able to put points on the board. I said it last week. 
teams have been able to score on Georgia. They're, 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 Georgia's still really good. I'm not saying that the defense is bad or anything, but teams are able to put in points, even if it's late in the game. Florida got to, what, 23 last week? 20? 20, yeah. 43, 20. 20 last final. week. So I think Missouri is going to be able to put some points on the board. Even I, I'm If Florida could get 20, I think Georgia, Missouri could definitely pencil them in for like 24, 27. So I, I still think Georgia, this Missouri defense, it's kind of like a script from last year. Their defense was so good last year. This year, it's kind of a weak point of the of the team. And I think with this newfound energy from the Georgia passing game, finally letting Carson Beck cook, finally hitting downfield shots, I think Georgia's going to push in into the mid-30s, into the high-30s. I think Missouri, though, isn't going to be that far behind them. I like the over as the my favorite play in this one. I, I'll go Georgia 38, Missouri 27. I I think that this I think this game is going to be a there's going to be fireworks. I think League Burden going to look like he belongs in the league. That's why it's his name. So I don't actually disagree with that because I think that's why I'm taking the first half is I think Missouri's offense is capable enough for the backdoor cover. I don't want to touch that 15 number that scares the absolute hell out of me. But uh, I think that the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Uh, might have done Missouri the worst disservice possible in this game by ranking Georgia number two because now Kirby Smart has something to motivate Georgia with. Mm-hmm. And um, he told last year's team that someone told them they were a seven and five team, which I don't know where that take came from. And they yeah, believed it and bought in and played with their hair on fire. And this team, I think one of the big like underlying narrative issues has been, you know, what's their motivation? Is there a sense of complacency? Because I mean, they're ranked number one, even though even in after some close games, some close wins, they were still ranked number one. You know, everyone seems to be believing in them. Well, now they have someone who doesn't believe in them. And I think they come out with their hair on fire in this one. And I think they put the reason I'm going with the first half is I think they come out on fire playing like that and build a lead. And then Missouri is able to keep it respectable for the rest of the game because of the talent on their offense, because of the talent of Luther Burton, because of Brady Cook, you know, taking the leap forward from what we saw last year. So I just think that. Full game, I do think Missouri keeps it respectable. I don't think it's a blowout by any means, but I think Georgia just comes out and jumps on them a little bit. It's possible. I just think this is the best offense Georgia's going to see all season. Missouri's top 20 in EPA per play. They're averaging nearly three points per drive. I just think this isn't a Georgia team that I think is going to be able – a Georgia defense that's going to suffocate like they did to Tennessee last year at home or something like that. I think think Missouri could hang around. I think that this game could go over the total. It's my favorite look in this one. I won't go – won't go for the outright upset, but I think Missouri could uh, hang around in this one. And uh, I'd say, you know, losing like that 10 to 14 range, or maybe instead of like that 17 to 20 range, um, like the spread might indicate. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, before we move on, uh, after Florida drives down the field and scores on the first drive, how nervous were you about your first half bet? Honestly, I wasn't. Oh, I, was not, I wasn't nervous at all because – I I try I've trained myself mentally to not overreact to first drives because scripts can be great and it's what happens after the script that matters and um, so until I saw the second drive I wasn't going to start to panic had Florida moved the ball well enough in that second drive of the game I would have been a little panicked but after I watched the second drive I was like oh we're so good <laughs> All right, let's move on let's do our our two staples that we always book on the show with upset picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cody, where are you looking? I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, so I'm going to Bedlam, uh, and I've got Oklahoma State plus six, plus 195 on the money line. Uh, I am severely worried about Oklahoma after what I saw against Kansas last week. 
for two reasons. One, I Kansas has been a defense that has been generous is what I'll say all season <laughs> long. Um, they haven't been able to stop anyone. And yes, they allowed 33 points to Oklahoma in a weird game that was delayed for over an hour by rain, but they allowed 33 points. But uh, Dylan Gabriel looked shockingly mortal in that game, like in terms of his ability to throw the ball. He did not have, and there were injuries in the wide receiver court. And I understand that, but he just, he could not find a rhythm throwing the ball, which is not typically what you want to see coming into a rivalry game. Perhaps it was a look ahead spot. Perhaps that was part of it. But then the other part that worries me about Oklahoma is something that I didn't foresee coming after what we saw in the Texas game. But the Oklahoma defensive front kind of got, I don't know if it was bullied, but fooled definitely. Kansas ran the ball pretty much at will on them. It didn't matter who it was either. It was Jason Bean, Highshaw, Neal. They all ran the ball really effectively against Oklahoma or against Oklahoma last week. And now you're coming in this game against Oklahoma State, who has found their identity offensively with Ollie Gordon as their workhorse. It's two straight games over 250 yards against worse talent than Oklahoma has on the defensive front, no doubt. But I think Oklahoma State is able to put together sustained drives to keep Dylan Gabriel and this offense on the, off the field, get them out of rhythm offensively, which I think is what Kansas was able to do with their ability to run the ball. I think it disrupts the flow of this fast-paced Oklahoma offense of their ability to control the game. And I think I'm getting almost a touchdown. Oklahoma State's trending up right now. Like They're a team that we talked about being on the upswing. And their defense is – marginally better than Kansas, but we saw that Kansas had a game plan to shut him down. Mike Gundy knows Oklahoma, <clears throat> excuse me, better than anyone. This is the last time Bedlam's going to be played for the foreseeable future. We've seen how much that means to Mike Gundy. I think he's going to pull out all the stops. And so I just love the spot for Oklahoma state. I love it. Uh, I took the points of Oklahoma state already. I, I think that they could win this one for sure. I don't see yeah. much insane. You know, I've been a, a pretty anti Oklahoma guy all year. Now you got to go on the road yeah, I think Oklahoma's inability to establish the run is going to lead to some issues. And um, they had some turnovers last week, some untimely ones. Kansas kind of gave the ball back a few times. But this yeah. is a team that's still top is third in the country in turnover margin. So I think uh, you know a few untimely turnovers could maybe uh, set this team back. I, I think uh, the Pokes are super live in this one in Bedlam, especially again Oklahoma. I don't want to say like their dreams are crushed, but like it's going to be really tough for them to get into the college football playoff now, just given what their resume is going to look like when it's all said and done. Like two wins over Texas. I don't know if that really gets you home if you have one loss. So, um, yeah, and they're already behind Texas, who they have. Like you were going through the top 10, and every head to head was honored except Texas, Oklahoma. And exactly. that's one of my, that was one of my big takeaways from that top 10 was like, oh, they like, it's like I said, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, the selection committee with the top four, they're kind of doing that with the eye test resume thing with Oklahoma and Texas as well. Because Texas clearly eye test wise is, you know, the better team, but Oklahoma won the head to head. Exactly. So I'm a little concerned for Oklahoma, as you said, that heading down the home stretch. So I think Oklahoma State definitely getting this many points. I, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, mine, not as exciting. Uh, I usually uh, come in with the more gutsy ones. Uh, you, you got me covered this time. I'm going to go Friday night. I'm going to take BC plus two and a half. I think that they win the game outright. I think Boston College should be favored in this game. Spoken about my boy Tommy Castellanos before a long drive deep to left field. Um, Castellanos, he's been unbelievable this year. Has completely reignited this BC offense. They're going to go bowling. Uh, someone who had win total over five and a half. It was a dark opening week loss to Northern Illinois, but we – Stuck with it. We persevered and we're at five wins. And I think we get to six on Friday night at the whatever they call the carrier dome now uh, in upstate New York. Um, 
I think BC, their offense is absolutely ex- so much further, so much far ex- more explosive than Syracuse's. And I think with Castellanos running around, making chunk plays, this team is now top 10 in EPA per rush. Syracuse is trending in the wrong direction. I know, listen, BC isn't the teams I'm about to rattle off uh, that Syracuse has played in conference play. But listen, like what's BC now? Like a top, top half of the conference. I mean, they're five and three now. So like you gotta be talking like a top half of the conference team, but Syracuse since conference play has started, we are looking at, they lost to Clemson 31, 14 at home, UNC 40 to seven on the road, Florida state 41 to three. And they came off their bye on a Thursday night and got absolutely dump trucked by Virginia tech 38 to 10. So I think BC the team on the rise. I don't really see the pop from Syracuse to really challenge this BC secondary. Give me the Eagles plus two and a half. Honestly, tell your bookie to keep them. You're taking the money line. No, hundred percent. I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. This is a wrong team favorite situation. Like what have we seen from Syracuse that makes you think like, I understand the competition is not like, like you said, BC is a lower tier competition, but at the same time throughout all those games, it's the results have started to look worse and worse and worse. Like losing to 28 to Virginia tech. That's a bad look. Virginia tech is a very mediocre team and better, but yeah, I know I know you're saying, but they've been better. They have been, but I mean, like they're still, they're not uh, the top. They're not a top, what three team in the ACC, maybe in the, in the standings they are, but I'm talking in terms of quality. Yeah. Oh Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're playing better, but like to get smoked like that, that's embarrassing. Yeah, and like one of the things that that is indicative of and that we've heard if you've listened or read anything from Dino Babers, this team is injured basically at every level. Like they have a ton of injuries and Syracuse does not have the depth because of the transfer portal. Like if you're a backup on Syracuse, you're playing at a G5 team now starting. And like that's kind of the position they're in with their roster. So like they're shorthanded. They've been playing bad. There's a little bit of quit factor going on with this team. And Boston College, is like you've said, is training in the other direction. They're playing hard for Jeff Hathley right now. They want to make a bowl. They're one yeah. win away from a bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, it, it, you want to know where it all turned around? That red bandana game against yep. uh, Florida State. They are in that game. They nearly drive down the field and score and beat Florida State at home in that like windy, rainy game in sat in September. That turned around the entire season. Complete mm-hmm. impetus for change. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we might have two winners here with BC and Oklahoma State. All I right. like them. Sicko's pick. What it. I lost mine, New Mexico. Oh, and you had lost mine as well. That also lost. Okay, where are you going? I'm going another team total for a Sickos game. I'm going the Rice team total under 18 and a half against SMU. And this really comes down to two things. One, SMU's defense. We think about SMU from Sonny Dykes and with Rhett Lashley coming over as this kind of offensive juggernaut. Their offense has been solid when Preston Stone's been healthy. But this defense for the Mustangs has quietly been one of the better ones in the country. They rank sixth overall in EPA per play defensively this season. And then you look at this Rice team. They have good offensive numbers. But when you look at their schedule, you start to realize why they have good offensive numbers. I would argue that maybe the best defense that they played since the loss to Texas in week one is Tulane. And Tulane's defense has taken a big step back. They have not played a good defense at all this season. And so I think with the way this SMU defense is playing, I think they're able to get after JT Daniels, able to disrupt this passing game, which is how Rice moves the football. And 18 and a half, you're basically asking for three uh, three touchdowns to against this SMU defense. 
I don't think they have it in them. We saw this Oklahoma. We saw Oklahoma's offense only put up 28 on S, on SMU's defense. What's me to think that SMU is or that Rice's offense is going to be able to put up 18 or uh, 21 points? Like one fewer touchdown than Oklahoma did. I've seen nothing from Rice against a good defense that indicates that to me. I think SMU is able to keep them under this total. Yeah, I I bet Rice. I don't know if I shared on the show, but I bet Rice last week against Tulane because I was skeptical of Tulane secondary holding that yeah. Rice's pass first offense. And then when, you know, I was going through the opening lines last week or this week, I should say on Sunday, I saw Rice as like a similar number, double digits. And like my initial, like my like siren went off in my head, like, okay, we like Rice again. And then when I dove into it again, SMU has a far better secondary than Tulane. Mm-hmm. I think SMU might be the best team in the AAC. SMU 17th in EPA per pass. And again, this is a rice team that passes at a top 10 rate in the country. So mm-hmm. if you could shut down their pass, they're really not gonna be able to do much. Rice was able to not really threaten for a win, but they were able to hang around with Tulane and lose by two. I don't know if they're gonna be able to do that against SMU, a team that's really good against the pass. So I, I definitely agree with what you're thinking here. I think SMU can maybe shut this one down. I think what busts this up is that SMU plays fast and like there's a few mm-hmm. extra possessions for rice and maybe they get like a garbage time score, but I agree with you. I think the SMU defense should be able to shut down what Rice wants to do. I will also say this is a plus money bet at DraftKings. I believe it was like plus 150. So like uh, we're getting plus value on a total that I think is very reasonable given the quality of this SMU defense. Yeah, I I, I can't fault this play. Mine, random game, random non-conference game. I'm going to take Jacksonville State plus 15 and a half against South Carolina. Uh Jacksonville State, they've been good to me all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have cashed their win total. They've uh, fully exceeded four and a half. They're seven and two on the year in South Carolina. I just, where's the motivation for South Carolina to beat up on a Jacksonville State team? The one concern here is that Spencer Rattler could take the top off this Jacksonville State secondary that is really leaky. They're outside the top 100 explosive pass rate. They also get home a lot. They're very mm-hmm. aggressive. They blitz at one of the highest rates in the country. Rich Rodriguez, has his team playing super fast in competitive football. I just, this feels like too many points for a South Carolina team that has been battling injuries. They're not going to make a bowl this year. Their season's kind of circling the drain. I think that they are more interested in kind of saving up for one last push against an SEC opponent rather than beating up on a pretty high level Jacksonville for a G5 rank. Jacksonville State has proven it to me to be like, what, top 10, top 15? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Five team. So I think absolutely. that this is. I think this number is baked in more that it's an SEC team playing a, you know, Conference USA opponent, FCS import. Jacksonville State has proven that they are far above just that. This is a team that looks like a pretty stat one. And if I'm not mistaken, they have extra time to prepare for this one. So I'm sure Rich Rodriguez is going to have this team up and ready to go. Um, this is probably the shoe rule because they can't qualify for the Cayusa championship. So I'll take Jacksonville State to lose by two touchdowns or less. No, 100%. I think when I actually looked at this game – and then I saw the line. I was like, ooh, Jacksonville State side. This feels like a game that ends up something like 48-34 South Carolina, where it's like a 14-point win. Because I, I I don't have any worries about South Carolina winning this game. I don't think Jacksonville State's live for an upset or anything like that. But with an offensive mind like Rich Rodriguez and with how quickly this team has adjusted to the FBS level from the FCS level, and on top of that with how – Poor this South Carolina defense overall has played, particularly in the secondary with how they can be taken advantage of on the back end. I just think Rich Rod is going to be able to dial up enough to put up a big number on the scoreboard. I think Spencer Rattler in the South Carolina offense put up a big number as well. But I do think that Jack, like 
Over two touchdowns is too much. Like I would put this line, I'll probably would have put this line at 13 and a half, not 15 and a half. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at what South Carolina has put on paper this entire season from a defense perspective, they've played a very difficult schedule. I understand that, but 122nd in EPA per play on defense. I mean, they've been gashed by everyone. And I mean, like FCS Furman put up 21 on them. Jacksonville State's going to be able to move the ball on this one. And I think uh, South Carolina is not going to be thrilled that they drew this uh, FCS import, you know, late in the season. Like one, I mean, they're two and six on the year, South Carolina. So, yeah. And you look at where they've been in recent weeks, got smoked by Tennessee, lose the heartbreaker to uh, Florida off their bye week, got smoked by Missouri, lose by double digits against Texas A&M. I just like, where is the team getting the motivation to get up off the mat here? Like I said, two and six. So one more loss, they're out on bowls. Um, I think Jacksonville State could hang here. Um, I, don't, I won't go for the outright upset, but uh, that would be pretty, pretty funny. Uh, Cody, you want to <laughs> recap our picks? Yeah, let's do it. Um, you want me to recap yours too? No, no, no. You, uh, okay. you're, sorry, Re- okay. recap our picks. I, I was making sure. I apologize. Uh, so for favorite total, I have Army Air Force under 31 and a half. Just hold your nose and take it. Uh, Alabama LSU, I've got LSU plus the three. Georgia, Missouri, give me Georgia first half minus seven and a half. For the Pac-12, give me Oregon first half minus 13 and a half. Upset pick, go to Bedlam and take the pokes. Oklahoma State plus six, one plus 195 on the money line against Oklahoma. And then Sicko's pick, give me Rice team total under 18 and a half at plus money. That is truly, truly sick. All right. <laughs> I bet the FAU UAB over 60. I took Alabama minus three against LSU. Took the over 54 and a half in Georgia, Missouri. USC plus three against Washington. Took BC plus two and a half to upset Syracuse. Uh, you'd get that money line plus 115. And then I took Jacksonville State plus 15 and a half against South Carolina in the battle of the Gamecocks. Uh, winner gets uh, gets to be the Gamecocks moving forward next year. So uh, <laughs> great show, Cody. Great, great show. If you missed our promotion earlier in the episode, our new partner, Super Draft Daily Fantasy, you sign up with the code FAN, F-A-N, you will be eligible for a first uh, deposit match of up to $20, and you will receive a free pick in your first game. You check the podcast description below for more on that one. Again, use the code F-A-N to help out the podcast. Cody, until next week, best of luck on all your bets, and we'll see you enjoy week 10 of the college football season. Best of luck to you everywhere but Tuscaloosa, my man. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.